peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I started reading a book this week that was written for baby boomers. It's called Things I Don't Get, Which Are a Lot by Lawrence Perkins. In the foreword, the author says that getting old reminds him of the line from the song My Generation by The Who. I hope I die before I get old. He says, now I know what they meant about thinking and acting like an older person. In fact, he says, if you don't know who Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend are, you're way too young to be interested in this book. The rest of it is a collection of thoughts and observations on just how many things have changed since he was a kid. Like nurturing parents repeating those words of wisdom, clean your plate, there are children starving in China. Well, that was a favorite around my house growing up, but it never fooled me. In fact, I could never understand the connection between the two. In all the times I didn't clean my plate completely, I never once saw someone stop by to collect and then airlift those scraps to those poor Chinese kids on the other side of the world. I had my own suspicions about where they ended up and it was a lot closer than China. I can totally relate to this one. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they'll get stuck like that. Well, that one was pretty effective and it still haunts me today. The author once asked his optometrist to verify that was true. He says, well, the doc hesitated and then answered, probably not. Smart guy. Didn't exactly contradict the parents, but left plenty of room for doubt. Anyway, the book brings back lots of memories, and if you're age appropriate for it, you, you probably enjoy the humorous walk down memory lane. We do have more time to uh, think about things as we get older, though, or we take more time, maybe. Things we just can't understand, but never really stopped to question before. Uh, like, you know, where in the nursery rhyme does it say that Humpty Dumpty was an egg? It doesn't. Not until chapter six of Lewis Carroll's 1872 novel, Through the Looking Glass, when Alice comes across him sitting atop a wall. In fact, he's the one that introduces her to the concept of unbirthdays, which are much better than having only one birthday to celebrate. If you have time to dig deep, you'll discover that the original Humpty Dumpty wasn't an egg at all, but the nickname of a very large cannon believed to have been used in the English Civil War, particularly in the Siege of Colchester in 1648. While the town was under siege, one of the cannons from the attacking side managed to destroy the wall that Humpty Dumpty was positioned on. Hence, Humpty Dumpty came tumbling down and all the king's men were unable to put him back together again. Some of you had lots more time to think about some of these things than I have. And so you've probably already wondered, when you catch a fish and release it, does he tell his friends that he was abducted by aliens? Or instead of just asking the question, why do people say, can I ask you a question? It makes you want to say, I think you just did. Have you ever stopped to think about how television ever got so explicit? Who let that happen? Well, I guess the audience had a lot to do with it by simply watching. Or how in the world a simple pair of glasses had the power to make Superman unrecognizable as Clark Kent, even to Lois Lane? Or how could it be that audiences who, audiences who could repeat the opening lines of that television show and still can, you know, look up in the sky, couldn't tell the difference between a bird and a plane and a flying man in a cape? I never questioned it. I just enjoyed watching it. Anyway, simpler times, I guess. But in every time, there have been things we just don't get. Look at our lesson this morning. Maybe you caught it. 
Jesus is with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And he tells them, a little while you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. And the disciples look at each other and ask in effect, huh? <laughs> On the scale of important information to know, this one's right up there. It makes staying out of the water for an hour after you eat so you won't drown hardly seem worth mentioning. We know that Jesus talked a lot in parables and that sometimes he would have to take his disciples aside afterward and explain one to them, but uh, he didn't usually talk in riddles. Uh, so what's going on? Again, it'll help to put the lesson into context. The conversation took place on Maundy Thursday, the night of his arrest. The next morning, he would be nailed to a cross. And what he really meant was, I'll be with you for the next four or five hours, a little while. But after that, they'll come for me, led by Judas, my betrayer. I'll suffer through a trial and beatings and even torture. Tomorrow morning, I'll be brought before the governor, Pontius Pilate. And he won't find anything really, uh, won't find me guilty of anything deserving death. But in spite of that, he's going to cave into the political pressure of my enemies and order my crucifixion. And then for a little while, for three days, you will mourn like you'll never see me again. You'll remember the three years we spent together, the hope you had, the good things we accomplished together. And then suddenly left on your own, the, the loss will be devastating. On the third day, I'll rise from the dead. The stone will be rolled away from the tomb where you have laid, will have laid my body, and you'll see me again. Your sorrow will be turned to rejoicing. Now, as John writes about this after the fact, looking back on that night, you get the feeling that maybe he finally understood that Jesus wanted them to grasp the enormity of his death and resurrection, the way his sacrifice would affect not only them, but all people down through the ages. But at the time, the disciples didn't know any of this. They'll ask each other, what is this he says to us a little while and you will not see me? What does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Why was he leaving them? Um, was he even coming back and when? Would they ever really see him again? You know, how could his going away ever result in them rejoicing? They didn't get it. And they were too embarrassed to tell him that they didn't get it. Now Jesus knew that in just 40 days after Easter, he would, he would return to his father to take his place at God's right hand. He knew that the trials that lay before these men, his closest friends, uh, uh, the, the tragedy, he knew those things. He, he knew the suffering and finally the death for their association with him uh, and their faith in him. According to the Bible, the church's very first martyr was a deacon named Stephen who was stoned to death for his faith. And in the years and decades that followed Jesus' ascension, as the good news spread and the church grew, many names would be added to that list. According to tradition, every one of Jesus' disciples, with the exception of John, was killed for their faith, beheaded, crucified, stoned, stabbed, or even hanged. Tradition doesn't agree on the method, but they all agree that they were martyred, that they paid the ultimate price. The single exception, John, the disciple who Jesus uh, commended to the care of his mother Mary to from the cross, lived to a ripe old age in exile on the island of Patmos. And it was there the apostle received his, his visions found in the book of Revelation. Something else they didn't get was Jesus mentioned that he was going to the Father. Think about all that's packed into that little phrase. When Jesus talked about going to or coming from the Father, it was his way of saying that he was the true Son of God from eternity. 
that he became true man and revealed himself on earth in human form. That is true God, he humbled himself uh, to step down from his throne in heaven and be born into the flesh. But he allowed himself to be seen and heard that he ate and drank and slept and worked and taught and ministered and that he suffered and according to his human nature, he died just like any other human being. That he was going to the Father meant that through his resurrection from the dead, he would return to his place in heaven at the right hand of God, reigning with him forever as our eternal omnipotent God, filling the earth with his presence. You know, this was way beyond the disciples' ability to understand at that point. They knew the man Jesus. They'd seen the power of God working through him as he healed the sick and walked on water and turned water into wine and multiplied a small boy's lunch into enough food to feed a multitude. So many other things. The disciples were drawn to him. They believed in him, even forfeiting their lives rather than give up their faith in him. But on this Monday, Thursday, there was just no way they were going to get it. Getting it would happen after Jesus' ascension back into heaven on the day of Pentecost. Jesus' return to the Father was necessary in order to send the Holy Spirit, who would bring all the things Jesus had said and taught to mind with a new understanding. A renewed hope, really, in his promise that in another little while he would return yet again, one more time, this time to set all things right. And so they have no idea right now, as Jesus is saying this, uh, what real lamenting is. But in just a little while, they will. And that unspeakable sadness they're going to experience, the fear for their own lives and their unknown future would prepare them for the full impact of the resurrection. While the world rejoiced on Good Friday, the disciples wept helplessly, hopelessly. On that Saturday Sabbath after Good Friday and on Sunday morning, they fully expected that as Jesus' followers, they would be tracked down and killed themselves. Locked away in that upper room, they hiding out for fear of the Jews, they expected that at any minute that guards would, would break down the door and seize them. That would be their expected future from the time Jesus' lifeless body was taken down from the cross until he appeared to them after his resurrection. They felt nothing but unspeakable sadness until seeing him alive again turned their sadness into unspeakable joy. Luther compares their suffering with the sweat that he inflicted upon Adam when he banished him from the Garden of Eden. No longer would he just pick his dinner off a tree. Now he'd have to scratch the ground. He'd have to to plant and grow and harvest his food. Now you think he wasn't wishing he could get a do-over? For a little time, we will all experience suffering in this life. It can be unpleasant and hard and maybe even crushing. But we have to learn to bear it and bear up under it, not in our strength, but in God's. And in terms of eternity, it'll only be for a little while. After that, the end will come, and with it, the beginning of the, the greatest good and the resounding joy of a whole new life in a way better place, free from sin and sorrow. You know, a place where, like our lesson from Revelation says, God himself will wipe away every tear. Christ is the very Son of God, and through him, God demonstrated his power even over death itself. The resurrection is his proof and his promise that by faith, the grave will have no power to hold us either in just a little while. And while they're still standing, they're scratching their heads in confusion, Jesus offers his disciples an illustration. He's preparing them for the sorrow and then at the same time strengthening them in that sorrow. 
he relates his leaving and their suffering and his return and their rejoicing um, to a woman giving birth, pain and sorrow, and then unspeakable joy. Now the disciples were just beginning to feel the pain of Jesus' words and would actually, they'd actually feel it uh, acutely in just a little while when they experienced his, his crucifixion, his death. But they would soon see him alive again, like the joy of seeing a newborn baby. And their hearts would swell with joy, so much joy that no one could ever take it from them. That's what his death and resurrection would bring. It's what the Lord's death and resurrection still has the power to bring, even today. Now, we haven't seen Jesus with our own eyes like they did. We haven't walked with him and heard him teach and, and preach with our own ears like they did. We haven't witnessed his miracles with our own eyes like they did. That's why the Spirit needed to come, not only to open the spiritual eyes and ears and hearts of the disciples, who would carry those words and the promises they offered throughout the known world, but for us as well. We see Jesus today through the eyes of faith bestowed on us in the waters of holy baptism. We have the apostles' own accounting of his work in God's word. And through them, as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to write their stories, their accounts, Jesus still speaks to us. You know, through the presence of his spirit in our hearts, he still walks with us. The fallen world we live in hasn't gotten any easier over the centuries. False religions continue to exist and even thrive. They may not be the same ones that were popular in Jesus' day, but they still teach a different gospel than the one Jesus taught. But while getting from here in this life to heaven with our Lord Jesus may take us through a very different world than the one his disciples knew, it's just as dangerous a world. You know, one that in some places may still demand the removal of our heads for our faith. But mostly it'll work in more subtle ways to remove our hearts from Christ with the promise of no waiting and no little whiles. Promises that you can have it all and that you can have it all right now in this life. That all you have to do is turn your back on Jesus' promise of a better future in a little while to his own promise of a better present. No waiting. All you have to do is give up that one thing you can't even see now. Faith in Jesus. The other thing in life that hasn't changed is that in a little while death will come. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe in 10 or 20 years or 50 years. And on that day, you will see the living Christ face to face, either to your condemnation or your unspeakable joy. Holding on to the promises, the very real presence of Christ will get you through the toughest times in this life. For however long your you know, little while might be, and through it all, God offers Jesus' resurrection as our sure promise of that life that, that lies on just the other side. Jesus had to die so that you and I, sinners in every right in the eyes of a holy, perfect God who hates sin, might be made acceptable to that same God who wants everyone to come to faith in his Son and be saved, redeemed by Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection for, from, for us, for slave, from slavery to sin. Don't let things you just don't get in this life get to you, okay, or get the better of you. God keeps his promises. In just a little while, all your sorrow will be turned to joy as you stand in the presence of our risen Lord, surrounded by all the faithful who are there now waiting to be reunited with you. It's true that the world might seem to, to take more than it gives at times. Uh, and when that happens, you just won't get it. But it can't take away the joy of knowing Jesus. In a little while, 
God promises to all who are his own. In just a little while, all our sorrow will be turned to joy. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. <coughs> Amen.